Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, folks. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal. And I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Welcome to another weekly episode of Melting Pot. Today I am in conversation with an amazing French actor. His name is Mehdi Nebu. I'm not sure if I got that right. I was trying very hard to do the French pronunciation, but I think <laughs> I faltered. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mehdi, for joining me in this conversation on Melting Pot. And I'm sure the way I'm excited, I'm sure my listeners are also going to be super excited to have you share your journey with them. So thank you once again. Thanks to you. <laughs> Great. So Mevi, I think we need to backtrack a bit because I know you're, I mean, once we talk, start talking about cinema, then there'll be so much to talk about. So just a little background to you from what I understand, your mom is German and your father Algerian. So how was it that you ended up being born and living in France? How did that migration happen? Uh, to be a bit more specific, my mother is half German, half French. And my father was born in Algeria um, in the 40s. And Algeria, as you, you may know, is, um, has been a French colony for something like 130 years, till 1961. So my father was born in Algeria, but back then he was considered France. So you had a French passport, could normally travel from Algeria to France without needing a visa. So there was a lot, and there's still a lot of people and second, third, fourth generation of French colonies or ex-French colonies in France, actually, they're probably the, the most foreigners you could find in France are mainly coming from colonies or ex-colonies. So my father met my mother in Algeria in the 60s. So right after Algeria won the war, so to speak, uh, against the French army and uh, won uh, its independency back, and there, my mother was working for the uh, NGO, as far as I know, and they were 
helping children to learn read and write in the southwest of Algeria. And you, you, you must know that Algeria is something like 75% desert, the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father is also within Algeria from a specific place. Like there is a big difference between the north, the coast, and the south, who are mainly people from the desert. And before the colonies in Africa, those many, many of these frontiers were not existing. And uh, so there were tribes uh, that were also very free to travel. So you're so, saying that you're saying that there were no borders between the Africa between some of the North African countries. No, no. it was all. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. not an expert. At yeah, all. no, I know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not an historian, but as far as I know, the the colonies, the, like the Europeans, I would say, the French, the English, Belgium, Holland, mainly divided Africa. You know, mm. my piece, my piece, my God, my God, which is terrible. But it's but without that, I mean, how can you draw? Frontiers in the middle of the desert, desert yeah. yeah, yeah, with no one being able even to make sure this uh, this is respected. I mean, this is whatsoever. But my father, what I was trying to say that my father is coming from the desert and feels more like coming from the desert than belonging to any nation. Like he said, I'm you know I'm I'm a desert guy, and it could have been Mauritania, Mali, Niger even Libya or Tunisia or Morocco. I mean, uh, this, this desert is huge. It's like an ocean of sand. Yeah. And um, so I would say nomads. And it's, I mean, it's it's quite different than when you, if you were born on the coast or from a fisherman's family or from Algier, which is the, the capital. It's um, when you are from there, it's it's quite a huge difference. So he's from from the desert, so like uh, from the southwest of Algeria. And my mother, her father comes from between Cologne and Dusseldorf, uh, and he left Germany uh, before the war started. We don't really really know why. We know that his father was a really uh, difficult man and and kind of a dictator. And uh, he was the oldest of the family, so he was supposed to take over the company. They, they were qu- quite wealthy, as far as I know. And But he left with his best friend. He left to France and with no money. And if I start to talk about him and his story, it's going to take hours. <laughs> but he, had, he ended up marrying a French woman who happens to be uh, my grandmother. And they married in '36. So three years before the war started. And they're both kind of intellectuals, you know. She studied uh, for a long time, my grandmother, and back then, like, I mean, the kind of, of education she, she went for was quite rare for, unfortunately, for women back then. So in the 20s, I would say she was born 1910. And he also was, you know, well-educated, ex-rich kid family. And, but did for some reason did some hippie trip back in the 30s, like they married. And then they went on the countryside and started to, you know, have land and pigs and, you know, and like, so they had, it was an interesting background uh, in a way, because they were cultivated. My grandmother could, had, had all the Shakespeare plays at home and she could read Italian poetry and they were really educated, but they had the life of, of, uh, of farmers. So it was an interesting mix. Uh, unfortunately, he died two years before I was born, so I never met him. He was their love story. And then came the war. And then when the war came, my grandfather 
had, had to hide the fact that he was from Germany because he was in France, yeah. but coming from the country of the enemy. Yeah. So but the first years of the year, of the of the war, anyhow, uh, he had to anyway. He had, he had to hide it. But also, when uh, France has been invited by the Germans, in, he had to hide it even more. I guess. I mean, he was. If he would have been taken by the French resistance, they would have considered him being a potential, would say, spy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if he, if he would have get caught by the German uh, army, uh, he would have. Probably be considered as a traitor, so he had to have. It was it was a difficult time for for both of them, but it brought my grandmother and my grandfather tighter together. And the love story is very passionate. It's a little bit like Gone with the Wind, but <laughs> during World War Two, I mean, that's, that's how we consider it from the family point of view. Right. Yeah. Then he got he got arrested by the French Resistance in I think in forty two or three. And then he was in jail in Paris. And back then in jail, you didn't know if at 6 a.m. they would wake you up and bring you in the backyards and, you know, and, and execute you. So it, were, it was not just two years in jail. It was just, you know, every day, every week, not knowing uh, will he ever come back. Mm-hmm. And we also, my mother has a lot of letters, all the letters that they both exchanged during that time. Very old school, like you know, like Madame and Monsieur, and you know, talking to each other. Like. So how how old was your mom when your grandfather was in jail? Oh, she was uh, minus uh, two or three months. Like my grandmother was pregnant of her. Oh, okay. And 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 my uh, when my grandmother gave birth to my mother, her father was in jail, and she gave her baby it was her third baby not the first one to her own mother so to my grand-grandmother and took her jewelry and everything that that she could sell sold it to get a bit of money and pay some pay some lawyers moved to paris to her own sister and from there did all she could to free her husband but as far as i know the first two years of my mother's life were with uh, her own grandmother and not with her mother. Yeah, yeah. And I think the first time, when they came back, when the war was over and parents came back and my mother basically like understood that her grandmother was not her mother, but her mother was her mother and she was two or something, two years old. So that's more or less the story. And then my, my mom, when she was, I don't know, 19 or something, um, 62, so 750. That's uh, six years for 50 plus 12. Oh my God. Yeah, she was 19. She was 19 when she decided to, I think she wanted to run away a little bit from her parents and uh, discover a bit the world. So she worked for this uh, an NGO back then in the 60s and went to this ex colony to make herself useful. And my father was doing the same thing, but from his in his country yeah. was helping the kids children to learn to read and write and voila the, <laughs> the, so the, the it seems like it seems like your grandparents that generation had this mega love story and then it kind of filtered to your parents as well so it's it's quite yeah, yeah it's quite interesting to see the kind of influences that 
may have filtered from from that generation to the next generation so that's that's quite quite interesting so that's how they ended up in paris and that's where you were born i wasn't born in paris actually oh. i was born in the southwest of france okay which is, you could say it's the french california more or less uh, it's um in the basque country French yeah. one, it's it's very close to the Spanish border. It's I like know. forty, yeah. forty yeah. German. Yeah. yeah, I was born there. Okay. Um, but well, if you talk about generations, I think it's quite a classic that things and families traveling through generations, that the the, the the cycle of repetition. Certain are positive ones, some other are negative ones, but there is for many reasons that I don't get, but you can call it genetic memory you can call it whatever i don't know it's like so there is there is definitely repetitions like my grandmother married the so-called enemy of france in the late 30s and then had to go through this war had to fight for uh, to legitimate this choice from the very first beginning because she's catholic and he, and he was protestant but also because it was German. And when we talk 30s, there have been already two wars, like yeah. 1870 and the First World War. So the French and the German, they didn't like each other. And the German were considered, you know, the enemy. And there was this piece of, you know, this region, Alsace-Lorraine, was on, on, on a certain war, the, it was belonging to France. And then the German took it back and then the French took it back, etc. So it was... There was a definite um, aversion between these two people uh, back then, and she married that. So, the, so from a religious point of view and from the country, it was the enemy. What did my mother? She married an Algerian. What? When did she, when they marry? One year after the war, Algerian war. So that this repetition is is an obvious one. They both well, from one generation to another, mother to daughter, married. Yeah. Yeah. The, the so-called enemy of their own country. Yeah, yeah. But th that's for me the main um, re repetition that I see because from for the rest, it's a completely different love story. Like my grandparents, they stayed together till the end, um, till their death. If that's an end, we don't really know. <laughs> it's another topic. <laughs> but <laughs> but my, my parents, they stayed 15 years together late 60s, 60s and, and 70s, complete different year, hippie time. And, and my father had to deal with uh, a lot of racism and, uh, and, 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 and a struggle to have uh, recognition and uh, respect and to feel respected and, uh, and wanted. Yeah, because not only racism was and is uh, in too many places in the world still a, an issue, but back then, he, they were not, he was not only coming from Africa, who were, they were considered as indigenous, and I mean, as, as half human, but he was coming from a country uh, France was in war against for, I would say, six to eight years. And not only that, but this colony basically kicked the ass of the French army out. So yeah. there was there was hate, there was resentment, there was uh, there was um, also kind of shame, you know, la grande nation, you know, France. So when he went to France with my mother, when she was pregnant of um, my oldest brother, and she wanted to to get the baby there, to have the baby there, um, 
big, 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 big struggle for him. And like I said, it lasted 15 years. When I was nine, my parents divorced. So, so I see this parallel of marrying the enemy, but yeah. the story in itself, very different. Different, yeah. And also, I think it's, it's situations, right? Circum circumstances, it's those times versus the current times. It's, it, there's a lot of factors which could have, can always result in situations being different, you know, in terms of, you mentioning that your grandparents lived together till they passed on, whereas your dad and mom divorced. So, I mean, I think it, that's, that's different. But what's interesting is the fact that they were, both these relationships happened around war. And both these relationships happened with, you know, people like the two people were on opposite sides, so to speak. So I think that's, yeah, that's, that's what really is the binding factor. And yeah, it's quite fascinating. I mean, and for you, you mentioned before we started recording that you also are, you've always been wanting to write and, uh, and you are now doing it. So that this, I think, would also be a very interesting journey to, to actually script and put together from two different generations and how there, there are similarities and at the same time, dissimilarities in their lives. So I think that would be something very interesting. I don't know what you're writing about, so we won't get into that. But mm -hmm. so <laughs> let's talk about cinema. How did that happen? I mean, at what stage in your life did you start to think and believe that this is what you really want to do? Did it happen organically or is it something that, you know, that fell into your lap? Is it something that you were so passionate about always and determined to do? So how, how did it actually come together? I think uh, that the first time I was sitting in front of a black and white television back then. Yeah, an instant fascination started and, and for, for, for many people, I guess, you know, this magic, moving, oh, yeah. Yeah, this magic, moving pictures, these stories, these people who talk to you. I mean, uh, I mean, it was the next level of radio somehow, um, even though it's a different thing, but it was like, what? We can see them now and not only hear them. There were also some things like like some children program so it became very fascinating I, maybe you could compare it with 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 the tablets today or computers or, or, or phones i don't know for the kids but that's that was the that was the, television was the the smartphones of of, of my generation <laughs> yeah and yeah and then when color came it was like what <laughs> you know color television and I remember that we we couldn't watch TV um, when we wanted. It was very uh, restrictive, and of course, not things that were too too much for adults. No violence and and things like that. So I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, memory is a, is a funny thing because the feeling memory changed changes every year. Like sometimes. What I remember, I'm not sure if it's true or if it's a combination of different tr truths from different periods of my life, or if a part of it is completely made up. <laughs> so don't believe a word I'm going to say because I'm, I'm not sure it's really true. But, uh, and then of course, so I'll so ask what is truth? <laughs> if you want to go into 
metaphysical topics. But I think I liked, I think that the first movies I, I was allowed to watch were uh, Fellini movies. Okay. Uh, mainly Italian cinema was very present in uh, in, uh, in France and French cinema too. Um, so, but the, the intellectual ones I was too little. But Fellini I could watch and still enjoy, even if I probably didn't understand a lot of things. It was still accessible for for my children' perception, uh, and also this very voluptuous woman uh, and with very generous bodies created my first um, like almost sensual I mean con- connection with sensuality and desire and uh, and um, because they were very like maternal like mother but at the same time they were not your mother so you were allowed to have different de- projections and desires in them and Fellini you know Fellini 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 was uh, and he's still for me uh, yeah an enigma no no yeah i don't know if that's the word that's probably not the word i would have chosen enigma it's more it's like he would touch different levels of perception like there's moment that looks and i i love those artists i mean chaplin also uh, has that when you i think i think it's a very high level of art call it art call it communication or sharing when when it's very simple it appears to be simple it's very accessible so accessible that a huge range of, of, of people from from five to to 95 years old can you know connect to it but it has behind under over this simplicity maybe simplicity what I'm saying okay. um, different laser layers of, of, of and depths that uh, you depending who you are where you are in your life how old you are uh, you can also uh, connect to behind this simplicity. And I think in music too, or in lyrics, or in this, and, and I think Fellini has definitely that. Like, uh, it looks like accessible if you think about La Strada. Yeah? It's, you know, these two Bohemians, she's a clown, and he's this guy who breaks chains, you know, in public or plays with fire. And he uses her as her assistant and is really very tough with her. And, 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 it's, I mean, depending how old you are, when you, when you discover this kind of movie, you see different things, different yeah, depths. Yeah, absolutely. And that thing, that, thing, that, that, that that's for me one of the quality of, uh, of Federico Fellini. Um, and his dreams, for example, the dreams in, uh, I've read later on when I was a bit older, that he was very fond of um, Jung, Carl Gustav Jung, who was a student, as far as I know, from Freud but then completely brought something new uh, in, in psychology and philosophy. And so Fellini, as far as I know, was really fond of him. And, and the dreams, the sequences in Fellini movies are like basically very much inspired by a very deep uh, approach and analyze of dreams. And I mean, when you have a guy, for example, I, I don't remember which movie it was. I think it was black and white. Now, he's in a symmetry and the symmetries in Italy are quite different like they, they look like um like yes. huge yes and furnitures and, yeah. and candles yeah. everywhere you have this guy walking through this symmetry that look like a labyrinth and he's yelling mama <laughs> he's in a symmetry that looks like a labyrinth like there's no exit 
and he's calling for his mom. For a child, it could be like funny, strange, weird, but there is many layers. You know, yeah. mom is the birth, you know, the, you come from her. Symmetry is, is very much uh, yeah. associated with death. Yeah. This guy who's a grown up man still behaves like a child. He, he, he's looking for his mom. Then at the end of a corridor uh, in the symmetries, I think he sees his mom, but when he approached, she's gone again. Like, where well, you, you can't really put it in word, but so then mind, yeah, simplicity, they are co very yeah. complex mind. Yeah. yeah, and leaves it to you at whatever stage of life you are in or whatever frame of mind you are in when you're watching the film, yes. I guess leaves it to you and your imagination. So I think yeah. that- And your interpretation. And interpretation, and yeah. Yeah, and yeah. perceptions. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a very high level of communication as an artist, as a writer, as a, as a songwriter, as a musician, when you when, uh, communicate, share things that trigger different things in you, depending, as you just said, uh, on your, of your age and perception. It's, uh, yeah. So, yeah. That was really your introduction to cinema. And that's when... That you was Fellini, yeah. Yeah. I was Fellini. And with the advantage that I loved him when I was, uh, I don't know, seven or eight. Wow. And I loved growing and, re and watch his movies again and, and rediscover... Uh, right those secrets but to be honest with you what made me want to become an actor i would say one a specific actor called jean-paul belmondo yes that, that we were admiring a lot especially with the brother over me like just a year and a half no two years older than me who is now a director by the way <laughs> And we're the, we're the two ones in, in, in Five Brothers, we're the two ones that are, so to speak, uh, working in creative some artistic fields. Yeah, say. yeah, yeah. And we would even fight for who had the right to imitate uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo. But I think actually that my, did my older brother played a huge role in, in my choices in life because the fact that he was loving Jean-Paul Belmondo made me love Jean-Paul Belmondo even more. The fact that we, you know, who imitates him the best was also because I was challenging. Mm -hmm. So I think part of, of a compet competition, competitivity, I don't know if you call it in English, between my older brother and me triggered a lot of my choices. And uh, he then, when he was 14, started to do theater. And from the neighborhood, he, would, he created a group of children that were, let's say, between 6 and 11 or something. But he was still the oldest. He was still already a teenager and they were still kids. And he was doing theater with them and giving them lessons and, and doing plays. And he ended up in the, in, the, in the newspaper of this little town, Bayonne, with his picture. You know, a 14-year-old boy uh, is doing theater with kids. And so one side of me being younger was, wow, you know, my brother, you know, he did it, you know, wow, that's crazy. And I think there was envy too, maybe, or at least, and then later on, but not that late, he went to Paris when he was 18 and did some shitty jobs like, you know, at the entrance of the theater, the guys who verify the tickets, you know. Yeah. yeah. Euro is here, Euro is there. And then, uh, you know, from he, he, he worked his way up to then become assistant of a, a theater director, etc. And then he became an actor, theater actor. 
And then I saw my brother on stage. So all his past was showing me it's possible. Yeah. Because my parents, especially my father, was like, no, 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 this is not a job. Acting or music, this is not a job. This is, this is hippie shit. This is, forget it. You have to be an engineer. You have to be a doctor. You know, he was coming from this generation. So I had this um, sound of bell, boom, from the daddy's side. And my mother was a bit more hippie, so she was more, you know, the most important is that, that for you to be happy, whatever job you do. And, uh, but my brother... I think probably without him, I may have ended up doing completely something else, I guess. I'm not even sure he's aware of that. Like, <laughs> now, like he he, will be. now he will be when he listens yeah. to this conversation. Yeah, yeah he's not very good in, in English. <laughs> I can say whatever I want. Oh, he could ask his girlfriend. She speaks perfect English. But uh, yeah, yeah, but for some reason, for some karmic reason, I ended up having an older brother who had a very clear path. Yeah. And uh, you know when, when, uh, when you're behind a truck on the highway, there's a specific wind behind the truck that if you place your car behind it, you would go faster. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. a truck is never faster than a car. <laughs> yeah, but there is this, this physical reaction that there's a phenomenon, the phenomenon of, of attraction behind. Well... My brother's the truck, I'm the car behind. And uh, that's, that's how it started. That's really how it started. And then we went different paths because I went to study directing in, in Berlin, Germany. And he uh, was a professional theater actor. And by coincidence, I became an actor. And he became a director. Right. But I, have no, I have no education in acting. Like it's just, just learning by doing. And, and same for him as a director. So there's some crossover, and uh, I don't think he's thinking of acting again, but I'm thinking of directing finally. So we'll see. Nice. So I think, yeah, I mean. So Jean Paul Belmondo and my brother are guilty uh, (laughs) for my choices. (laughs) (laughs) I give two inspiration, are the two inspirations in your life. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, as, as a kid, as a kid, definitely. You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Pio, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. So as, I mean, you speak how many? Five languages, six languages? I would say five. Uh, I, I am, I'm, my ex-girlfriend is from, from Mexico and thanks to her, my Spanish uh, has improved. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the one and I really love it and discovered America Latina last year. And um, yeah, I'm really wanted to discover more and also this language. But my Italian helped because I speak French, Italian, English and German and a little bit of Arabic, but very little, unfortunately, in Spanish now. In Spanish now. So do you think it's an advantage? Because I've, I've seen that you have this huge body of work, which is in, I mean, okay, mainly French and English, but I think you've done other European uh, language films. So you think that speaking so many different languages has given you the advantage of being able to do cross not cultural, but like literally be a part of the different different cinema opportunities, so to speak. Has that kind of been an advantage for you? 
Oh, yes, I like to think so. When uh, in the 80s, not many French people would speak English or foreign languages. It took a while till uh, I think two generations. Now there's always more people speaking uh, English, for example, in France, but it came much later than in Germany, for example. But I know that uh, when I started to work as an actor, which was um, 2000, was the first movie, 21 years ago, there were not that much people speaking so many languages in at least in in as as far as i know uh, in in the, in the acting business and then it's like a, a new field of possibility or a new market you would say uh, from a businessman point of view became the european actors uh, i would say from 2000 earlier so 2010 maybe or late, late between 2005 and 2010 i don't remember exactly and then you saw you, you you saw always more actors from different european countries that started to work abroad. I think of Mats Mikkelsen from Denmark, I think of Daniel Brühl from Germany, and so on. So basically, probably probably also has to do with the series and internet, so that you could easily, for example, tape yourself, like do a casting, film yourself home and send it to Singapore, to Brazil, to wherever. So, of course, first skill that was expected was you to speak the language that was needed for the series or the movie. But as we know, English uh, is, is... Universal. Uh, it's, it's, well, yeah, yeah. it's quite universal. It's a huge yeah. market. It's a huge market, and, yeah. And so, so is, actually, so is Spanish. Because yes, I'm absolutely. in Latin America and even huge. in Spain, it's huge. So huge. Have, you, have you had an opportunity? Because I, I haven't seen anything while I was researching. Right, Spanish? Yeah. No, never. Never. It's too, it's too recent. It's too recent. And I don't think I would be able to, you know, uh, make a, a proper, I mean, one scene uh, with a coach and, you know, or two, but a lead or, or a supporting part in the Spanish language. I'm not ready for that. Yeah, but I, never, I, I need more work. Yeah. So never say never because yeah. I'm sure it can happen. So um, out of all the you know, the different, because I've seen that you've done comedy, you've done all different kinds of cinema. What would you consider to be your most favorite genre? What is it that you really, really enjoy the most out of all? What I enjoy, what, what I enjoy the most is black comedy. Black comedy. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, think of uh, the Coen Brothers kind of cinema or... Who does that? I mean, British, British comedies. So have you done? Have you done any black comedy? Yes, a few. I would wish to do more, <laughs> but uh, once is called the last word. It's a Netflix series. Okay, it's in it's in French or in it's, English? It's a German series. German. Okay. Yeah. So the last I, word. That's let's divorce. There's also short. Um, short program, comedy short program that we were doing for a few years that was released on Arte, uh, what called Man Frau, so you would say man and woman. Okay. I was playing a freak, like a cousin of, uh, of Borat, you could say, of <laughs> Sacha Baron Cohen, probably a, a, a French-German cousin uh, from Borat. Um, what else? Not, 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 not enough, definitely. Other, others would be comedies, but so-called black comedies, like tragic comedy or 
where it's funny, but not only where it's funny, but it can also be unpleasant or pr provocative yeah. or po politically non-correct are the things I feel uh, the most at ease and, 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 and happy. Yeah. But even if it sounds completely obvious, what I'm going to say, a good story is a good story. And that those are the pearls. It's like a good book or a good play, uh, theater stage play. Um, and, uh, and I think that writing is the most difficult part in our profession. So it's not, you don't have such, I mean, such, you don't have so many yeah, work of art, piece of art, like masterpieces in, in writing, in, in, uh, in series and in, uh, in films. In series more, like when series started, Six Feet Under and uh, The Sopranos, and that's when, that's when the writing was like, wow, guys, now it's not, the, the, you know, power to the writers, you know, finally. Yeah. And, and the level of quality just went up and up and up and up. Till now where you still have, because there's one factor that I think is uh, unbeatable when you do a series, is that you spend so much time with the characters, with the humans, with, with their life, that your relationship with them as, as, as a viewer, uh, as an audience, uh, is, is, is closer to the one character in a big novel. Than, and, and, and you spend... This person's, this character, they become intimate. You, you, you really, you, you have a deeper, complexer uh, relationship than, a, than in a 90 minutes movie. So that won't change. This, this depth, this, this length, this, this possibility of complexity. That you yeah, can because, yeah, because you're able to, you have the luxury of time. Whereas yes. in a 90 minute or, you know, a feature, yeah. You, you, yeah. you have to try and compress all yes. of it, yeah. So no, it makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You, but I think, yeah. I think just to end up what, what I think we're going through now with the with the with the series it feels like uh, becomes always more and more and more, and sometimes at the cost of quality, quantity replacing quality. You feel because it's working, because it, people love it, because it's becoming the opium of the people too, uh, you know, to because it's there's a, it's 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 an clearly a, a, a world addiction now series and that starts from a very young age yeah um i don't know how you could you call that over industrialization like you know what happened with meat and a thing like that when when the, the when greed started to take over and and now overproducing um Compromises on quality. Compromises yeah, yeah. quality also. Yeah. And, and also the length and the time and the speed, things ha have to be done. Yeah. You know, it has to be efficient. Uh, I feel like we have less weeks, less days to shoot. The days are longer. P preparation is shorter, less money. You know, first it was, you know, Alice in Wonderland in the series, series world after, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in the 21st century. Uh, yeah. And now it became like a quick, yeah. quick, 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 down, 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 next, quick, 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 down, 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 next. And yeah, so more commercial. It's it's sort of commercialized a lot more. Yeah, no, I completely yeah. understand that. Yeah, and from the but point still, of view, an actor, and I guess that's your point of view as an actor. You know, because you are you are a part of that whole industry, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, that's coming from from you. Ridley Scott, you have done. Is it just one film? And I think you're in, in shooting right now. You're shooting right now. 
So I just wanted to ask you very quickly what that experience has been for you being, you know, in sort of working with Ridley Scott. That's one. And secondly, a little sort of delicate, because I know that as a non-Caucasian actor, do you feel, because of your looks maybe, do you feel like you get typecast in when it comes to Hollywood because whatever I've seen you do as of now you've always played a Middle Eastern person is that something that you how do you feel about that so so, I mean they're two separate things one is you working with Ridley Scott and your experience yeah. with that, and the second is in terms of being typecast as as a Middle Eastern in Hollywood what do you feel about that well, I'll start with Ridley. Ridley Scott to work, to have the incredible uh, luck um, to work with him. I mean, I, I feel I feel a lot of gratitude and I feel super lucky. And sometimes I, I, can't, I can't believe it. Just can't believe it that I'm working with artists like him that I've been admiring since my younger age, especially being not a non American actor and um, so there's different experiences experience now is a new one again the, the first one was uh, incredible also because of my character I had a very emotional scene crying and and, and had a I was I was felt very motivated because it was during the the Gulf War Bush was uh, it was the Bush government the, the son and uh, back then there was a lot we were talking 2008 uh, or seven or eight, there was a lot of cliches going on uh, regarding uh, the Muslims, the Arabs, and a lot of misinformation. And, and we would hear from Europe here that in the States, the image of the Muslims were was really darkened by the media, uh, you know, like kind of propaganda, which we know in both sides or everywhere else too. But so, so when I saw that, Ridley Scott gave me this part of a guy who was an ex-spy under Saddam Hussein. And then when the regime was over and uh, extremism took over, like Salafistan and then Al-Qaeda uh, took over, then um, he just ended up being part of this, you know, and, 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 and without almost you know, double-thinking it or analyzing it, if this guy found himself being part of this, and then the day they ask him to, you know, make suicide bombing, that is when he realized, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I'm, 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 no, I don't want to die, etc. So it, it was about redemption. It was about giving humanity. It was about telling, you know, you, everybody does mistakes uh, in life. You can do mistakes, but it uh, doesn't mean you're not a human being anymore. It doesn't mean you, you, you can't have a second chance. So I felt really um, extremely motivated, like saying, okay, it's a little part. I mean, it's one scene with Leonardo DiCaprio, so you're, you're just happy, you know, to, 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 have to, that. Play, tennis, to yeah. play tennis with Leo, so to speak, <laughs> in front of a camera. And, uh, but also I felt like th there, is, there is something that is really important here because uh, I don't know how many millions of people and how many uh, U.S. citizens will watch this movie. It's an action movie with DiCaprio and Russell Crowe, so probably a lot of people worldwide. Wow, if I can make it to give some humanity, you know, and to, to this guy. 
So that was really my motivation. And because actually I cast it for the part that Mark Strong did, which was the third lead, which was the, yeah. the boss of the, of the uh, Jordanian, Jordanian secret services, that would have completely changed my career, <laughs> by, <laughs> by the way. But he liked my, my casting, but I was too young to play this guy for him because he said, I need some kind of a father figure toward Leo. You're too close to Leo uh, age-wise. And, uh, but I like what you did, so I want to give you a smaller part. And then, well, even if it was a small part, I was really thrilled to work and meet DiCaprio, but also to have this little window of, of, of giving humanity to Muslims, to extremism, to a man who got, got lost, it took the wrong road. But he's not a demon. He's not. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, I mean, he's a human being bring humanity and I also think that Ridley liked it that liked it uh, because basically when you meet someone may influence and create prejudices or influence your perception of this person you know the first impression so-called first impression his first impression of me was me crying I mean in a video for the casting or at least the second casting and begging for redemption so when I met him on set he was really nice to me like 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 an uncle who knew, uh, who had see, already seen me crying, for example. And not many people in my friends or in, in work relationship have seen me crying, or you don't see often everyone in, in vulnerable situations. He did. So I got the feeling that it made, it made him, put it, it put him in a, in a position of, you know, of knowing a side of me that, you know, that you normally show in your intimate life. So I, I felt, uh, for some reason, I don't know, I felt he really, he was really nice to me, like, Hey, and, and uh, he made me a little bit, um, he embarrassed me a little bit when he introduced me to, to DiCaprio, I must say. Why is that? But, but I am sure that he did it on purpose because he knew <laughs> we had a scene on that day of uh, rivalry and, and, you know, he's a CIA guy and I'm supposed to be a terrorist or an, or an ex-terrorist. I want to get out of it. Um, so not that easy to not be judgmental <laughs> to each other. And, and as a good director, a good director um, know about manipulation. I mean, and the, the more subtle, the better, especially it's, if it's for the scene, for the characters, for the, for the film. And Leo was sitting there with a cat, uh, uh, so you couldn't see his face uh, at first sight. And he said, oh, oh, let me introduce you to Leo. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to shake hands with DiCaprio. Yeah? So very 
uh, I was, yeah, I would say a bit shy, a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit like uh, pretending I'm cool, but I wasn't that cool you inside. Had fan, and then, you had a fan moment there. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and Ridley, who said, hey, Leo, I have to introduce you to Medi. You know, this guy is a loose cannon or a loose bomb, I don't remember. You know, he can, he can, he can cry and get, and get, get, can go from crying and, and getting pissed off like that. <laughs> no, no, Ridley, no, please, you did not have to say that. And I see Leo, who look at me like a, a potential, you know, fighter, like potential enemy, like, and he says, hi, Leo. And I was looking, I wanted to say, hey, Ridley, it's embarrassing to introduce me like that. But the word embarrassing was not coming. I was like, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word? And the word didn't come. And okay, thanks, thanks you later uh, in the scene. And then uh, everyone goes wherever. And then I'm work- walking away from the scene. I'm like, embarrassing. That's the word I was looking for. Embarrassing. <laughs> that is fucking embarrassing <laughs> to introduce me to DiCaprio like that. And, and, and then when we were in the scene, there was a strange atmosphere in this car when, when Leo came inside and I felt electricity. I felt, because basically he triggered egos here. Like, you know, and we know actors have egos, <laughs> big ones, and, and this need of being, you know, impress you or being intense, being real, being authentic. And so, of course, I was quite intimidated by the idea of acting with DiCaprio. But when you're in the scene, hoping for you know you know going to character and being character so it's not DiCaprio and it's not Medi it's a, it's a CIA agent talking to me who is in a really shit situation if CIA doesn't help does if they don't help me but in the end I think that Ridley knew exactly what he was doing <laughs> he created a tension you know and also I think you know when you've done so much when you've shot so much and you've worked with so many incredible talent actors and actresses and artists, DPs and sound. And I mean, when you read Lescott, every people working around are just brilliant. They are just, I mean, everyone. And also Shanti, the, the costume designer. And also he has a family that really works with, with him over the years. Then you know how to work with actors because you've worked with a lot of and, and some amazing ones. And, and um, so I think he did it on purpose to... But I feel that... Bribery. Yeah, but no, I think that the fact that you, in your world, you are such a well-known actor and it's, it's modesty where, you know, you, you still acknowledge the fact that some, an actor like, you know, I mean, a director like Ridley Scott or an actor like the one that you, you, were, you were doing the scene with, you you felt that fan moment. I think that's quite incredible. And it speaks volumes about you as a person as well, because you you in your own standing and in your in your world of cinema, you are a very big name as well. So it's it's uh, I'm, I'm thank you for saying that and I'm trying to uh, embrace your perception, but uh it always looked different from inside, you know, and I think that I've inherited the minority complex from my father that became a great uh, power to him because that's really made him want to, you know, 
have a, a good job and and you know and be respected and things like that. So I think that I have that and my brothers too, with that made us ambitious. But in the same time, ironically, it gave me this ambition and this you know I want you know I want to achieve my dreams. I want to you know I want my dreams to come true. And in the same time feeling a little bit less than others. It's, it's, it's getting better right now, but I think that it's part of, of it. Like, and I also think that I could have had, I, I had a few opportunities in my life uh, where I could have, um, you know, make some bigger project and have a different career. I mean, like, like something really like, like huge. And I kind of sabotage myself. So, so it's, it's, like, it's like a ch- there's, there's a fighter uh, who, uh, who believes but there's also in me, but there's also a child saying, no, 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 it's, you're not going to make it. No, 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 it's not for you. Or no, 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 you're not, you're not that good of an actor. Or, no, 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 no. Okay, of course, it's so sad. Then, of course, you know, that's where doing this kind of job sooner or later make you face certain things um, and, and therapy help or certain works on yourself. But I think it's also very much, it's, it's, it could be modesty. Yeah, you could call it modesty. But it's also a kind of a minority complex that that is, thank God, for the past I would say seven years is disappearing always more and just being grateful for my chance. And but it starts with with I mean I think the deepest feeling of gratefulness that I know are not linked to my profession, but like for example to be grateful of being alive. Yeah. For example, and then number three. To have my daughter, I mean, to to have, I, I don't own her, but to, to, to you know, to, to be her dad and her f- to be healthy. And the same for family, friends, you know, the circle being larger and larger. But I, I do think that I should be more thankful also uh, in the same time for my luck. I mean, how lucky I am. And even working with Ridley Scott as an actor, to make a living as an artist is already such a luck. Painter, sculptor, photographer. And I wish every young man and woman who may listen to what we're talking about right now, it's possible. It's possible to make a living as an artist. Go for it, try, especially if you feel you have something to give to the world, to share. And it can be as simple and, and, and the more authentic, the better. It doesn't have to be about impressing others or, or being unique or special because we are all unique and special. But, you know, tell your story, your, your real story. If nowadays you can even make a movie with, with a phone, writing, if, if possible, uh, you know, a story is, doesn't request money or a lot of money. Even photography now is accessible with, with, uh, with, with, with your phone if, uh, for a start. So this is, uh, and when you then happen to be able to make a living of it, wow. And that's, that's yeah, that's, that's probably the first line on, 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 of gratitude that I have toward my life is uh, after being alive, healthy, and everybody else I love um, is uh, the, the chance of... Uh, of earning my life, of being paid in this system, you know, in this system where money and and being paid uh, with by doing something that you love. I think that yeah, yeah that you can't have it any better than that. So no, no absolutely, no. yeah, no, I I completely understand that point of view, and I'm happy to hear that. Like you mentioned, in the past seven years, you've kind of uh, grown. You're growing out of this 
complex that yes. you know this minority complex that you've had and i guess it's i didn't know i had actually so it's first you start to realize you have it and then you can start <laughs> then you will accepting <laughs> that that's how it is and it doesn't make you a worse human being no absolutely and, not yeah i mean in fact if you are able to introspect or whether it's external people who brought it to your attention or you've worked it out um yourself as long as you know what it is and you're able to change it or improve it or start to think differently i think that's that's uh, more important than anything else so no that's that's amazing i'm like my god we've just been this it's just been a seamless conversation and i'm i'm absolutely enjoying it and i can see that you're wide awake now <laughs> yeah I didn't sleep much. Yeah, I, I wanted I, to ask I wrote you. I know. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you about uh, because my Indian listeners, I'm sure, will be really, really yeah, Sri Devi. Yeah, curious Aww. to know about English English and how that came about. And yes, I mean Sri Devi. It's unfortunate, and the entire nation mourned, uh, and I think continues to mourn with uh, her untimely death. But I think I, I'd rather. sort of talk about your experience or rather have you talk about your experience with the film how it came about and what was your experience with because that's a completely different a different segment of cinema you know it's not european it's not hollywood it's very very different the working the you know the whole thing the entire concept so what was that experience like I would say pretty close to a fairy tale I would say as an experience to me as a French colleague European actor to end up shooting in New York with Shri Devi in a beautiful movie with an amazing director that I love a close friend and and her husband who produced it in Balki he was also an amazing director that I love and uh, and all the people that I've met to this uh, journey Uh, Adil Hussain who's now a close friend and I love Rajiv who's a very funny comedian uh, all, all of them um yeah it, it's it's like a, it created English English family so to speak and Bonnie also Sri Devi's husband all, all these wonderful people very generous I I guess it's like every project when you're in it you don't necessarily know that it's going to be something or it's going to be as important as it will become for for you or others or in your life personally and professionally i i i couldn't say i knew and regarding my the, the this moment of minority complex that i've observed in my life that have sometimes made me feel unimportant and sabotage my path um back then it didn't happen during english english because i didn't want to research about who shri devi is and what an important and amazing artist she is um so when i met her on set i didn't know who she was but i did it on purpose because i knew if i go find out and uh, how what, what an amazing artist she is and how well known she is um it may become a problem you may create a distance it may put me in a position of an admirer and a fan and 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 it would be 
not help help not helping not helpful for the for the for the work for the approach for getting to you know Laurent um, uh, meeting Shashi uh, so and it worked and she I, th I, I, I know that she loved that because when I when this is also the the, the, the thing that we hear about or could eventually imagine but it's not easy to be that famous I tell you and I, I felt that with DiCaprio too uh, who is a world star since he's 17 I think 14 14 his first job as was being the son of Robert De Niro. Well, that's how your career starts, right? <laughs> so it's it's difficult because for them because you don't know if people like you because they like you or because you're DiCaprio or Sridevi or you're famous or they or they admire your work, what you've done uh, as an artist, but they don't know you in private for real. So th th there's a weird mix, and so it creates. Um, situation where the people or new people that are meeting you are not at ease with you, are not themselves, are not authentic or are scared or are shy or whatever. And it's, it can be a burden. It can be hard because suddenly your connection with other human beings because becomes not simple, not authentic. So there's probably, I can't speak for them because I'm not, I'm not in this situation, but, but it feels that you have to create some kind of self-defense mechanism where uh, you become, you know, polite and, and kind and et cetera, but there's a distance. There's a distance, like a mistress, like, uh, like, 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 you know, I'm not sure you're going to like me for who I am, first of all, because you don't know me. And secondly, because what you know from me is just a consequence of my job. And not something that necessarily, but it's tricky because when you see an actor, actors, actors like them, you've seen them crying in very vulnerable situation in movies, etc. Of course, you know sides of them that you don't even know from some other people that you really know in your real life. So it's a tricky. It creates some tricky perception of of, of who they are or could be or supposed to be or whatever. You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Pio, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. So, we, and so on the opposite, when you are so famous and then you meet people who are not aware of it and treat you like a woman, a new friend, someone, a man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's fresh air. It's just fresh air. It's just like, it even helped them to get free of this role. Yeah. That, that, you know, and, 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 and that's what happened with Trudevi. We didn't have the time with DiCaprio. Uh, I mean, this was this little anecdote of Ridley Scott's 70th birthday where, where we got drunk. There, I felt, okay, <laughs> there's something playful here. But before that, but with Sri, uh, the fact that, that genuinely I didn't know nothing. She was an Indian actress, Sri Devi. Hello, Mehdi, nice to meet you. Uh, nice to work with you, etc. That's it. And I saw people on set who treat her like a princess. I was like, is it a cultural thing? Hmm, she seems to be pretty famous. <laughs> but I, would, I wouldn't give it any, any, and it made the approach and the encounter and the friendship uh, faster. Yeah, really, and and we became friends. Like and and like she was my new friend from India, and we happened to do the same job. And even my daughter re remembers 
Sri Devi, you know, the way she was with my daughter, I also loved it. And, and it just clicked. It just clicked. Like, like when I was behind the camera, listening to her, the camera was on her with her big eye. And I was like, you know, I was just, we were together. We were helping each other. I knew, I didn't know because the director told me I, 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 I heard that the first day she was not knowing anything about me and my work, obviously, she was like, you know, watching. Like, is he a good actor? Like, oh. she was probably hoping, I hope the guy is good now, because if you have a partner that is not um, really generous or... What is the word? You need to have that connection. You need to have that yeah. chemistry, right? Which is so yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chemistry connection and also... And apart from that, how is he doing, so to speak? Yeah. And then I've heard, I've heard from the director telling me, hey, Sri Devi told me, uh, she said uh, she, likes, she, likes, she likes how you work. Like she said, uh, oh, he's a good one. He's a good actor or something. I don't remember the exact words, but yeah. I remember the director, who is a dear friend of mine, uh, Gauri, came to me and said, hey, Sri Devi, she appreciates your acting. She, 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 she told me oh, he's a good actor. Which is so was like, mm-hmm, thank you. Uh, ego, <laughs> right? I know. But... <laughs> always a pleasure always a pleasure to receive especially when you're in a working process and all you want is you know to connect and and, and also in a different environment something that you're not familiar in with. new york in yeah. New york. yeah no but what i mean is a different environment as in a different approach to to cinema i guess or a different outlook, a different story, a different, you know, everything. So for you to get that appreciation must be really, really welcoming and heartening, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole story is a fairy tale. And it's, it's, it's Ridley Scott again. It's Ridley Scott again. Because we did this movie, um, Body of Lies. Then it was premiered in New York. So it was 2008. I went to New York to the premiere, it was the first time of my life going to New York and the United States in my uh, mid-30s, uh, early mid-30s. And, 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 and I remember a friend of mine living there. I was living at his place with his girlfriend, Italian couple, wonderful friends. Um, he brought me to a premiere of the film Gomorrah. And, uh, and it was a dinner after. And at the premiere, the film was introduced by Martin Scorsese. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, they, were, they were all there. They were all there. Like uh, uh, John Turturro was there. Joe Pesci. Ah, big, big. Uh, a lot of Italo-American huge actors and stars were there. And then there was a dinner after. This round table. I was sitting with some people. Not with Turturro and all the... But unfortunately. But it <laughs> doesn't matter. It was a nice evening. And I think we ended up going in some club or something to have a drink. I think it was a Soho or something in New York. And here I am, and I was just coming for this week for the film of Ridley, yeah? That's my only reason I was there, um, or my main reason, so to speak, and discover New York. And uh, on that evening, in that club, I went on the balcony, because back then I was still smoking, to have a cigarette. And, you know, New York, cigarette, evening, blah, blah, blah. Who do I meet? This Indian woman, young woman, super nice, beautiful, uh, really lovely. With two, she was with two other friends. One was her one of the producer, I think, and the other one was a writer. She was writing, and she was in New York too because she wanted to. She had studied a little bit in New York, but she wanted to come back to New York to write the story down English, English. Oh wow! <laughs> I Gowry, this is the like. Director. 
this is like how do you say the the universe coming oh, yeah. together, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> and of course. Imagine we're meeting. Hey, what are you doing? Pa pa pa. We exchange. I think it was Facebook back then. Uh, and uh, she said, "What are you here for?" Yeah, and of course, <laughs> said, "Well, um, you know, I'm in the next Ridley Scott movie with uh, with DiCaprio." So, so for her perception, oh, this guy is is somewhere in his career. Would have met her uh, half a year earlier. I would have said, "Well, I'm doing some films in France," and you know. But now, I mean, my first impression, <laughs> luckily, thanks to Ridley, and and that timing of my life was uh, uh, probably uh, gave uh, Gauri the impression, "Oh, okay, <laughs> we're dealing with someone who's you know in in the first league of uh, of actors in the world, uh, or at least working with them." So, and then we're exchanging. And then for the next two years, we just had a few mails or a few messages through Facebook, like twice a year, three times. Like, you know, she was this uh, nice encounter, Indian young director uh, that I've met in New York, but not, not much more. And then one day, she sent me an email and said, hey, I've been writing that script. Remember I told you I was writing it? I'm talking two or three years after, I don't remember. Two and a half, I think. Two and a half years later, I received this email and in the attachment, the script. Saying, hi, Mary, uh, there's a part in this uh, story and uh, I was thinking of you and probably maybe the fact that we encountered in New York and this guy lives in New York, this French guy. Maybe she was, maybe he was not French at the beginning and maybe she made him French because we met. I don't know. I should, I could ask her actually. But, or she saw that as a sign or whatever. But how comes that two and a half years later, she remembers our encounter enough to propose me, not casting, not let's 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 try, but I would like you to be that part. And it's not a small part, it's a lead part with Sri Devi, and it's her comeback. I don't know all of that, but it's all, it's a lead without casting, so it's a real offer. But and but I wonder because has she seen anything from me? Does she know how I act? Will she, does she like it? Or it's just intuitive intuition, encounter, and whatsoever. Like rare, two and a half years, someone you met with a small cigarette is offering you a lead part in a movie shooting in New York. So I read that, but I thought she just wants my opinion. They don't have the money. They're going to seek for the money. Maybe she needs my go. Maybe she, maybe she wants a casting. Like she, next thing she's going to ask is me to meet Sri Devi. That's very common when you have especially romantic comedies where you want the two actors to meet and work some things out. You should even try different actors if you have your lead already like Sri Devi and see which guy works. You know, you do. It's, it's common to, to check the chemistry. No, it's an offer. But, I, but minority complex, I think that... Uh, not gonna happen. Like nice story, I like the script, but they're in a, in a financial process. They don't have the money, etc. And then next, I say, yeah, I like it. I like the script. I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm interested to. And then say, okay, look, we are, we are, we, we went from Bombay to London because in London we had to meet some people. But on the way back, I mean, they, they, they were supposed to go directly to Mumbai. Yeah. On the way back, if you want, we can stop to Berlin because I, I live in Berlin till now still. And I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, they could have asked me to take a, a low-cost flight and come to uh, UK. To, uh, yeah. No, 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 no. She and her husband, Balki, who's producer and director, decided to take a plane. I mean, I felt like Johnny Depp. <laughs> like, you know, this, this director from, from India is supposed to fly back to Mumbai, take a ticket and come to, you know, to meet me in Berlin. 
So I proposed them to meet in a Sicilian organic restaurant that a friend of mine, Cooker Han, used to have and uh, you used to work in. And then I right there and I sit and I meet them. And, you know, I think Balki as a director wanted also to, you know, to, to see the guys and, and to, um, and um, I was in a good place in my life, joyful. I made them laugh. We had a fantastic lunch. Of course, I invited them. I mean, I, I felt a little bit like, come on, I mean, guys, you've paid off tickets to, 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 to see me. <laughs> and, and, um, and then I'm like, okay, so in which stage of the finance are you? When, when she said, oh, we got the money. We're shooting in two months. Wow. Like, oh my, <laughs> my jaw just like. So oh, I think what? they did all <laughs> the prep. They did everything and then came to you with a concrete proposal and offer. Yeah. This yeah. Very professional and which I think is, is oh my God. I'm impressed. Yeah. Wow. And this, uh, forgive me for repeating it, from an encounter two and a half years ago, smoking a cigarette on the balcony in some uh, bar in, uh, in New York. He was like, wait a minute. And they were like, are you available? Like, will you be, you know, available? And we're starting shooting. I think we shot September, October 2011. And uh, right before that, I had a French movie where we had the ending of the shooting was in Hong Kong. So we needed to do a straight Hong Kong, New York. That's where I felt, hey, my God, what's going on with my car? Yeah, I'm shooting in Hong Kong and I'm going to New York. <laughs> so when I felt like, like my ego was really like, I'm important. <laughs> that's, that's the ego shit. Anyway, and, uh, but it felt just nice. And, uh, I remember, by the way, I started a diary in Hong Kong, man, especially for my daughter. So I highly recommend fathers and mothers. Uh, I mean, what do you mean highly recommend? I think it's a lovely idea. I, I studied diary, a uh, travel diary. So every time I go travel and I'm not with my daughter, I, 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 I describe her, the place and what I've done and thinking of her or her growing because when I started, she was a three and then uh, a year later she's four and then now she's 12. So even my way of, of communicating to yeah. her changes. Yeah. yeah. And this is something... I would like her to have uh, as a memory of her dad traveling around the planet and talking to her. Like, basically, I'm talking to her, yeah. but different ages. And it started in Hong Kong back then. It's a little anecdote, but I'm, 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 I'm proud of, of this idea because I think it's, it's, it's lovely. Even me, when I get back into it, I uh, could even, uh, I moved. So, and it started then, it just, just came back into my mind. And then here I am in New York. I've, I didn't want to stay in a hotel. I've asked for an apartment so I could cook. And also <laughs> I told all my buddies, guys, I got an apartment in New York for two months. There's a, there's a guest room. Who want to come? Should come. And I had a lot of busy Italy, France. Because, because New York is expensive. So when you tell your friends, guy, make sure you get your ticket. I take care about the food and you pay for any uh, uh, hotel or anything. That was also gorgeous. But I felt like, it was like a dreamer, a childhood dream. I was shooting in New York with these yellow caps. I mean, you know, Coppola, Woody Allen, Casavetes. I mean, Jim, I mean, Jamush, uh, New York, you know. New York was part of our life, uh, my life since I was a child. In, in so It was like going on a planet I knew, but I've never been physically before. So I've, I had a lot of deja vu. But in, not in a three-dimensional world, déjà vu in, in film. So it, it's, it's like you know, but you don't know. And now you smell and now you, it's, 
uh, that was very magical. And that's thanks to Gowry, thanks to English English too. And then uh, the rest is just, uh, the rest is history, so to speak. And my big regret is that I couldn't make it to be there at the premiere in Mumbai. I've, I was shooting a comedy in France and months later, uh, earlier, like two months before I said, in that specific time, keep me off, keep me free. I can't shoot. Give me at least four days, three days, and I may go and back. I want to be there, Bollywood, Mumbai, Sri, you know, red carpet, meeting all these legends and, and a few of them that I really admire. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like, this is really Alice in Wonderland having the greatest party of all time for, you know, uh, and the, the, the first assistant director, I'm trying to not feel any resentment, but I was like, and she, she didn't even know, because, you know, first assistant director are organizing the shooting. Of course, producers and, and directors have, a, have an eye on it. Um, for some reason, they didn't make it to, to, to have me free. And uh, I remember being on the phone with all of them. And so that, that's all. That's English Bingleish. Have you been have you been made an offer for any other films in India? No, and I didn't took the opportunity because because if I had if I had come to the premiere, yeah. then I would realize not only intellectually or from reading something online, but how huge Sri Devi is and this film, what this film means also, it's her comeback. And, um, and, and, and as a consequence of that, how important my part uh, was in this beautiful movie with her would have mean. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I had no, no idea. And one of my, I mean, I don't believe in regret. It doesn't change anything. But back then, I didn't realize that I could have really stopped something in India. I call it minority complex, call it ignorance. I didn't know that uh, it could have been the beginning of a career in India, added to the rest of what I'm doing, that, that I seriously could have done something uh, from 2012, 2013, etc. Choose a good one. Be, even as a foreigner, you know, there was something. There was something that could have been created from, from, from there. And call it karma, call it, you know, that's, that's how my life is in this life. It wasn't meant to happen for some reason that I don't... Uh, necessarily yeah, have to understand <laughs> but that's i that's know but it, it hasn't happened now it may happen because your career is still very much there and well i'm not dead <laughs> <laughs> so everything can happen anything. you know till the life yeah no absolutely so i mean i think with hollywood with indian cinema i don't like the word Bollywood. So with Hindi cinema, I think there's, it's all about opportunity, timing, perseverance, and of course, luck, all of that put together. And belief. And belief, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, faith, faith, faith in, you, in your, in your, in your path, in your yeah. work, in yeah. yourself, in your abilities. Yeah, that's, that, that attracts um, opportunities. Absolutely. In, in, in yeah. Every field. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And in fact, I should have started with faith, and then you know, and it, it's all interconnected. So. Yeah. No. I even faith, think that faith. I even think that faith, believe, can provoke opportunities. Like as as if we were co-writers of our future and our destiny. There are things you can't have 
any influence on and, and, and that are meant to happen or call it karma. But I think um, there's also a huge part where if you believe in something, it's, it's, like, it's like you connect with that possibility of, uh, on, a, on, a, on an energetical vibration and frequencies. It's proven uh, if your brain just connect with that possibility. And if you start to develop from the heart, the, 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 the emotion that is linked to it means you feel it's happening. Like when you, for example, if you're expecting uh, an answer for a job or you had a job interview and, uh, and you're waiting or you had an exam. I mean, an exam is a bit, maybe a bit different, but yeah, let's say you're waiting for an answer. If you connect with the, 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 the possibility that it could be a positive answer, like you got the job, you, you promoted, you got the, your exam, you got the part, whatsoever. If you just connect with that possibility from a brain point of view, with that frequency, you know, yeah, why not? Could work, could work. And if you then visualize and feel the emotion, like you see yourself on set, you see yourself doing the job, you, and, and it starts to create a positive emotion that you would have if you would get the job or, or the promotion or etc. then it's, it's been said that the chances for it to happen are much bigger. And this is not, and this is like, we're clo pretty close to, to, I think, scientifically for, for, to, 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 to be, for it to be proven. And, and, I'm, and I'm, at least from my perspective, I'm, I'm a strong believer uh, of that. That's, and that's where faith, believing in you, in your life, in your destiny, will definitely a, a, a much better job <laughs> for your future than if you do the opposite, which is doubting, fearing, uh, being scared, etc. So it's, a, it's not always easy. Sometimes fear take over or minority complex. Man, I, no, I'm not, it's not going to work. No, no, I'm not worth it. Oh, no, I don't deserve it or this kind of shit. But it's, it's, it's really worth it to work on your mind, to, to train your mind of, of, of being more positive oh, and creating yes. those opportunities, yeah. And uh, yeah. meditation, I think meditation is a, for, for, for my personal experience and Vipassana meditation in my case, uh, by the way, my relationship to India also, the second time I went there uh, was to do a meditation retreat. And Gauri did it also, the director, Vipassana. So I think meditation is, for my experience, the most efficient um, technique so it's not a religion, it's not a sect, it's just a technique. Oh, it's just it's of how to train the mind. Yeah, yeah. To to get more relaxed and more, more positive, more, you know, and um, so when we say faith in our destiny, in ourselves and in our skills and abilities, I think the way to to train the mind to become a good friend and not a cynical uh, judge <laughs> uh, or a tough judge this little voice in our heads for me meditation is the is is, is yeah the greatest school i could find yeah so it's it's basically helped you enabled you to you know to, to work on my minority complex <laughs> and on these self-destructive sides that one may have and maybe artists more than other but i don't know if i'm even right but yeah 
to work on my self-destructive uh, sides that it's when you become your, your worst enemy uh, rather than your best friend. And uh, yeah, you know, the choice on, on paper in theory is quite easy to do, but sometimes we are not our best friends. And um, so once you've been through certain moments like that and you stop to, say, to see yourself as a victim of it, means powerless and uh, what do victim expect two things a savior or or um, what do you call it torture like someone who's going to torture you yeah yeah so it puts you in this ch young child position where you think that something from outside will rather save you or make it harder or, or and that's um, not the truth the truth is that there is not only these two possibilities you could save yourself you could try to work on something to get out of this victimization uh, uh, thing and see uh, and accept this weird habit of self sabotage self destruction minority and all this your 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 the sides you like <laughs> you don't like or you have difficulty to appreciate to accept that they are there that make they make us human and then find for yourself for your own on your own path technique yeah. Yeah. to become a better friend to yourself that became even more important than success money and acting because you can be successful rich and trapped in a depression and and think you're not worth it living you know being happy and shit like that so that's probably when uh, i started to have a little less of self-sabotage and minority complex when i started to work on it and realized that's more important than any other form of success even if i don't uh, condemn professional success or success or fame or money at all and uh, but but um, they are not replacing uh, they don't have the, the, the power to replace uh, the relationship you have to yourself and therefore to life and for you to learn and uh, how to become a good friend to yourself. <laughs> I think that's where it, when you're at peace with yourself, when you have that understanding about yourself and you're able to sort of, you know, separate the two and then work towards positivity, that's, that's like, it takes time, especially if you've had a different mindset in the past, but I think it's a beautiful journey. And I can see that you've, you know, listening to you for and how long it's been that <laughs> we've been talking, but <laughs> listening to you. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm, I, I will be very reluctant to edit any of this conversation because I think it's, it's been so diverse. It's been, I mean, the focus has not really been cinema, although that's, that's your uh, strength or that's what you do. But I think the focus has also been who you are from where it all began to the entire journey of where you are at with yourself now. And I think that, to me, has been far more meaningful a conversation as compared to talking about cinema and what you enjoy about acting and how, you know, mm -hmm. all of that, I think is is secondary. I think you as a person, which is what Melting Pot, that's that's what Melting Pot and I connect with, is the journey of the person. And I, I, I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed 
the fact that, and I'm happy that, you know, you were able to share that, that journey. And, and a lot of, it was very deep as well. And, you know, and I think, and I'm sorry if I, not that I directed it, but maybe I did. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't regret it because I think it's, it's just been um, a wonderful conversation with you, Mehdi. Seriously. Likewise, likewise, likewise. I didn't know where it would go and I've had only a few hours of sleep, but um, I have no common self-reflection about what we said. It's just in, just, it's, just sharing. It's just sharing different yeah. point of views and experiences. Yeah, Absolutely. And and I think that's what that's what is enriching, you know, and that's what, I mean, people who know you as an actor and who will listen to it or watch the the podcast on YouTube will see a, a such a different humane side of you, which I think, in my opinion, I think nothing is more important than that. So thank you once again. I hope <laughs> continue with your writing and, you know, we're able yeah, to... Too. Do share with with me your journey and, and as far as your writing goes, and and also you know hopefully one day when I'm in Spain I can you know Berlin is just next door and and yeah. I'd I'd love to be actually be able to meet you in person as well because that's what I used to do before the pandemic. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and you know, I do stay connected and it's just, and again, thank you for for sharing. Thank you too for the invitation. Bye. (laughs) Bye. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. 